0: Lock, Talk Radio. I'm
1: just gonna sit there and block that thing? Or are you gonna place it? Stream. Merrily, 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 boat, life is but a dream. Merrily merrily merrily, 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 gently down the stream.
0: Merrily, 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 merrily. boat,
2: Good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers. It's Uncle Jim here with you. It's Sunday afternoon, and it's time for our Flashback Sunday. Um, This is when I go back into our archives, and I pick a show, and I share it with you guys. And this one is our discussion that we had on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And this movie is is derided by a lot of fans as being the worst Star Trek movie, being terrible and awful, but is it really? Uh, We dive deep into it, and we discuss it, so sit back and enjoy our discussion on Star Trek: Five, The Final Frontier.
0: Blog Talk Radio. Kingway's fox beard lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Disco's wife, Klingons,
3: and the afterlife. Boimler, Tandy Stargrass, ransom is very hot. Borg
0: drive, black alert. Giorgio has gone berserk. Peter, Batman, Edward is an idiot. Buck is dead, Wolf is dead. Check, wearing red. this cat, Kempax, Jack. You had enough of that? Beam me up, make it so. Everybody, let's go. We, we talk about, about the series. You can join us live by picking up your phone now. We talk about the series. The We're coming, coming to, to you on your streaming services now. We talk about the series. And Yankees, the
2: show now. Coming <laughs> Thomas, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe with that song. It's time for another episode of Trek Talkin'. It's Thursday night. We're live. The phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're going to be talking about Star Trek: Five, The Final Frontier. With me, as usual, are my trappers. Start off with Eric. He's out from what are you doing tonight. Eric?
3: I am doing pretty good. We have had some sweet, sweet relief from the heat. The last couple of days have been sort of semi-cloudy here. Uh, after a couple of days up in the 110, 115 range Fahrenheit, uh, no fun. Charles is used to it. I definitely am not, but. Uh, that's okay, because today the weather's great, and we are talking about a very interesting movie that I'm excited to talk about.
2: And we also have, excuse me, we also have, this, Charles, Charles, how are you doing tonight, Charles?
4: I'm doing good. After a couple of days of storms trying to pass through, we're calming down, humidity finally going back down, and we're doing a peaceful 106. At least
2: I think the humidity is low. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm what, here in Vermont yeah. and uh we had three days in a row where it cracked and for up here, that's just unheard of. Well, yeah, well,
4: okay. I give you an idea of humidity, Eric, especially for you, a little bit with Jim. I just looked it up. We're where we should be right now in humidity. We're at seven percent. Wow! When Good you place. get into when you get into the high nineties, into the hundreds, more than ten percent is uncomfortable. I've seen twenty, twenty-five percent in nine degrees, and it was miserable.
3: Yeah, That's that how sounds we survive. like. It sounds like the swampy kind of heat you get in the Midwest sometimes in the summertime when it's ninety, ninety-five outside and the humidity's at sixty, seventy percent, and you just you you don't think that you'll ever be able to breathe clearly again.
4: Exactly. Sixty, seventy
2: percent, try eighty, ninety percent. Ugh. <laughs> wow. Well, guys, great show plan tonight at to Star Trek Vita and we to hear a Star Trek musical episode. Interesting. Jeff Russo and the music of Discovery. Star Trek birthdays around the globe and our top cities as well as fans. And chefs. We have a lot to talk about. We're glad to have you guys. And uh, you can look us up on our Facebook page at Trek Talking and the at all, even 755 followers, and we'd love to add you to the list, please. Please do, do that. We'll go around the globe right now and give our numbers regionally, and for that, we turn to Eric.
4: Yeah,
3: as always, about 75% of our listeners come from the United States, where we broadcast from. Uh, and holding on to our number one international spot this week, although... Finally not setting a new record for the first time in a solid three or four months is the U.K., Uh, but that being said, they're still holding down 6.23% of our listeners, which, gosh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. That's a significant portion of our listeners, so thank you to the folks in the U.K. In our number two spot, we have Canada. I don't know if this is an anomaly or what, but somehow, some way. They have shot from 3.22% of our listeners all the way up to 5.79% of our listeners this week. Wow. Uh, Did we convert a whole town overnight? That is pretty cool. Uh, So thank you, folks from Canada. Wow. All the way up to almost 6% of our listeners uh, and in that number two spot. In our number three spot, we have the folks down under Australia coming in with a respectable 4.10% of our listeners. Ireland is holding on to that number four spot with 1.84% of our listeners, and Norway in fifth, but just a little tiny bit behind Ireland at 1.76% of our listeners. Thank you to every single one of our listeners, both international and domestic. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. Uh, So thanks for downloading, thanks for listening, and thanks for calling in.
2: Absolutely, and that number again is 646. And this is a live show, and so I'm doing the show currently live in a river in upstate New York, So, and there's a bad, bad storm rolling through here right now,
0: thundering rain, so
2: quality of the show isn't as usual, and you hear some dropping out, some cutouts, that's because we're live, there's no, so just bear that in mind just to let you guys know. And we also do our top cities. And for that, Charles. these are our found in this week.
4: Well, this week, uh, Indianapolis, here where Shannon lives, I see it's dropped a little bit. They're now thirty-six, where they used to be 41st. Portland fell a little bit. 21st last week. Now they're, up, they're down to 24th. Come on, Paul. people missed the show because it was too hot.
3: Could have been. Could have been.
4: Ah, uh, Las Vegas is stable at 19th. Once again, our 9th and 10th are flip-flopping again. San Pablo Brazil is back to 10th, and Brisbane when Australia is back to 9th. Those two like fighting it for ninth and tenth, and then we just go right down the list. We've got San Antonio, Texas; Ogil, Illinois; Toronto, Ontario, Canada; Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, California, home of Andy Bray; Melbourne, Victoria, Australia; Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. London, UK,
2: and New York, New York. New York City. How about that? Absolutely. That's pretty cool. And and looking at the numbers, though, uh, we we might see San Antonio. uh, We might see Brisbane challenge San Antonio for that number um, eight spot. The numbers are pretty close. Um, We'll have to wait and see what happens next week. Well, Australia oh, has
3: been in cool. our top five for a very, very long time, so that would not surprise me if we saw a little surge from Queensland.
2: Yeah, it's it it could happen. It could happen. And um, I said at the top of the show on our Facebook page, you'll see the live long and prosperous symbol. Just stop there. Tell us where you're listening from. Every week, I pick 15 lucky fans. If you see a heart next to your name from trick talking. That means your name has been chosen and you want to tune into the show so you can hear your personal fan shout-out. So, Eric, why don't you get us started with our fan shout-outs this week?
3: You better believe it. Our number one fan shout-out this week goes out to Kumar Ramakrishna from Singapore. That is pretty much on the – I don't know how far away that is, but it's super, super far away. So it's amazing you're listening to us and interacting with us, Kumar. Thank you so much. Uh, We really appreciate it. Monique Westerick from the Netherlands is also listening to us today. So thank you, Monique. Uh, I've always wanted to go to the Netherlands. Did you know? You know this because you live there. But something like 50% of the land in the Netherlands is below sea level. Unbelievable. And they're the world leaders in floating architecture. So Monique, you live in a unique place. I love it. Vanessa Jackson from Trinidad and Tobago. She is listening to us today as well from the, the island way, way out there. That is amazing. Uh, not our first listener from Trinidad and Tobago because I've actually started keeping track, but certainly one of very few. So thank you, Vanessa, for listening to us. We're saying hello today to our top fan, Vanessa Arroyo from Puerto Rico, another place I have never been that I feel like I would really like to visit someday. So Vanessa, thank you for listening to us. And last on my list is Glenn Morris from Perth in Western Australia. He says, good day. I love it, Glenn. Thank you so much for listening to us.
4: Charles, who you got
3: on your list this week?
4: Well, let's start off with Carolyn Brown in Scotland. Keith Krem Krem from Lurie, Virginia. Joseph from Georgia. Darlene Cooper from Florida. And top fan, Walter Chaplet from Argentina. So we got a few Americans in there and a couple other countries. What about Jim?
2: Okay, and thank you to Chris Crane, Skill, New York, USA. Not too far from where we're on right now. So thank you for listening to Chris. We'd also like to say hello and thank you to top fan Anna Golik from Crimea Peninsula. I'm sorry. I almost said Pennsylvania.
3: The
4: Crimean Peninsula, yeah. <laughs>
2: Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's easy to easy. Um, we'd also like to say hello to fan Michael Williams from Temple, Texas. And we'd also like to say hello and thank you to Stuart Armstrong from Melbourne, Australia. Good. But we'd like to say thank you and kapala to James Dexter from Manchester in England. It's great to have each every one of you along. We can't. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear your name mentioned on a fan show, just visit us. Give us a like, give us a follow. Tell us where you're from. You see a heart next to your name. You want to tune in because we're going to say thank you to you personally. This is the part of the show where we do our birthdays
1: That was not a Klingon
2: on song. No, it wasn't, but we like it anyways. war. So we always start off our Star Trek birthdays remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. So, Eric, who's on your list this week?
3: Well, our very first remembrance this week goes out to a gentleman who actually has a part in tonight's podcast later on. Uh, He appeared as God in Star Trek V and also appeared as Admiral Hansen in The Next Generation's Best of Both Worlds. Uh, We're remembering George Murdoch tonight who would have had a birthday this week. So uh, happy birthday and remembrances going out to George Murdoch. Uh, certainly a couple of very memorable roles uh, from a couple of different eras of Star Trek, which is pretty cool. Uh, we're also remembering Tony Young this week. Uh, Tony played Crichton uh, in TOS's Alana of Troyes. Uh, he's a very fine-looking uh, gentleman, uh, part of the noble family of uh, the planet of Elan where they went in that episode. So uh, happy birthday and is going out to Tony Young. We're also saying happy birthday and sending out our love to Charlene Polite, who played Vanna in the TOS episode, The Cloudminders. Uh, yeah, another another kind of classic episode uh, and uh, love interest of Kirk, <laughs> one of many, uh, but Charlene did a great job in that role. We're also saying happy birthday to John Harmon, who played Tipo in TOS's Piece of the Action. Uh, and he played a rodent in the city on the edge of forever. What's that all
5: about, Jim?
2: Rodent was talking to Spock and Kirk at the the food pantry. He's the guy that was helping find their way around. His name was Rodent in this in the script.
3: That's right, that's who he is. Well, happy birthday! I remembered the piece of the action character, but I didn't remember the other one. So happy birthday to John Harmon. And uh, our last remembrance this week goes out to Guy Raymond. Guy Raymond would have had a birthday this week. Uh, he played the bartender on Space Station K7 in the TOS episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, one that I think, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, you probably are familiar with that episode. Um, so Guy Raymond, a uh, fun role for him back in the TOS days. So happy birthday to all the folks who have gone before us that are no longer with us. And now we move on to Charles with some of the birthdays of folks who are still with us. Charles, take it away.
4: Okay, well, let's start off with Michael Burke, who played Joval in TNG Descendants 2 and played Koss in Enterprise.
3: By the way, Goval has a very excellent card in Star Trek Attack Wing. Uh, he allows you to discard him instead of somebody else from your ship, so you can do all kinds of character recurring shenanigans with Goval.
4: And we've got we Renata.
0: Yeah.
4: we Admiral Hayes in c episode Realm of Fear. Sharon Lawrence played Amelia Earnhardt in the Voyager episode 37. When Voyager tried to define how they thought what happened.
3: Yeah, and it was really fun to read the autobiography of Catherine Janeway and you know, just kind of revisit what an important character in Catherine Janeway's life, Amelia Earhart, was, and then she basically got to meet her hero in the 37s. So that was pretty cool, and Sharon Lawrence did a fantastic job in that
4: role. Yes, she did. Then I got Sandra Smith, who played Dennis Lester in TOS episode Turnabout Intruder. Bruce Davidson played Jarrett. In Voyagers Remember. And Menos and Enterprises of Seven. Harry Surpico played Admiral Brent Gardner in Discovery, The Vulcan Hello, and Battle of the Binary Stars. And the last one's an interesting one. We have a first day greeting to Lieutenant Kyle from Star Trek into Darkness. That character may not seem familiar to you till I mention his name, which happens to be Christopher Doohan. And you're saying, but isn't that, yes, son of Scotty Doohan. Happy birthday to Scotty's son. And Jim, what about your group?
2: Well, I've interesting uh, characters on my list. Um the first one we wanna say how do you say David Gartou who Uh oh did we lose Jim? Hey, can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Yep, I got I thought the weather might might be bad. I got booted off. Can you hear me, Eric?
3: Can you hear us?
2: I yeah. Hear we can hear you. Excellent. Excellent. So, let's let's continue. How does that sound?
3: Sounds good. We can start right at the top of your birthdays, Jim. I don't think we heard the first one.
2: All right. So um, we want to say happy birthday to uh, David Gartreau, who played Commander Branch in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And he was set to replace Spock in Star Trek Phase 2 and play the the evoking officer, Zahn. Oddly enough, Zahn was mentioned in Star Trek Lower Decks, so he's actually a canon character, even though he never appeared on film. So that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. We'd all, we have another character Who never actually appeared on film We'd like to say happy birthday To Gen- Genevieve Bojold Who would have played Captain Nicole Janeway on Star Trek Voyager She worked on set for Approximately one day And then she quit And I have on our Facebook page You guys can go and see the um, Her footage that she filmed before She quit so happy birthday The next one an interesting one. He was the captain of the Enterprise B, but not until next Tuesday. So I would like to say happy birthday to Alan Rock who played Captain John Harriman in Star Trek Generations. As I said, next Tuesday. Yeah. yeah.
4: Um,
2: yeah the
4: thing is with Alan, Alan Rockman, for me, was memorable in that episode, in that one, as much as I remember him and Ferris Bueller.
3: Ferris Bueller, for sure, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah that that was one of his big roles Chris.
3: absolutely. It was fun to see him in Star Trek after that though wasn't it?
2: yeah yeah absolutely, and uh we'd also like to say uh, here's one um a, a very interesting one. We'd like to say happy birthday to Ken Marshall, who played Michael Eddington in nine episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but I know him as crawl. Anyone that grew up in the 80s would know what I'm talking about, the sci-fi movie Crawl. You guys must have seen it, right?
3: Oh, yeah. I actually own the comic book adaptation of it as well, uh, which is just follows the movie pretty solid and uh, is really fun to read. So, yeah, I, pretty cool concept for a movie. Uh, and some people think it's a little cheesy. Uh, it's pretty
2: close to my heart, honestly. I love it. I've watched it a thousand times. I, I think it's great.
5: So. It's awesome.
2: Happy birthday to Ken Marshall The next one um, That we want to say happy birthday to Is a very interesting one uh, Because She had the role And then she gave up the role And then she took the role back um, We are the Borg ah! your shield and surrender your ships
1: We will what? add your biological And technological distinctiveness To our own no.
2: Your culture will adapt to serve us Resistance is guitar. So we'd like to say happy birthday to Alex or Alice Krieg, who played the board Queen in Star Trek First Contact and Voyager Endgame. She was replaced uh by um Susan uh Susan anybody. um <laughs> I'm trying to remember her name. Yeah. Susan somebody. Yes, yeah, Susan uh, somebody. Yeah. Susan somebody. Um <laughs> On Star Trek Voyager. Susanna and Thompson. Reason, that's it, Yes, Susanna Thompson. And for some reason, they decided to bring her back for the end episode. So there was actually two Borg queens. So happy birthday to Alex Krieg. Um, I saved the biggest and best for last on my list, and that's we'd like to say happy birthday to uh, the first Section 31 officer that we ever saw, Lieutenant Malcolm Reed from Star Trek Enterprise, played by Dominic Keaton. I love, I love, love, love Enterprise. And he,
3: Malcolm Reed is one of my favorite characters. I love his kind of like impenetrable facade that he puts up that then kind of gets chipped away by Tripp and various other people on the ship. It's, it's, he's a really cool character. And I thought he just did a great job. Dominic Keating just did a great job with that role.
2: And like I said, he does play the very first Section 31 officer.
3: That's right. I love that they kind of gave him a reason to be there and that like a, a way that they could kind of lead into things that we had already seen back in Deep Space Nine and that sort of stuff. is
2: great to get him in at the ground level in that organization. Yeah, that was, that was cool. And uh, I think the most important one on our list, a lot of fans would disagree with me, but I think the most important one on our list this week is we want to say happy birthday to J.J. J. Abrams. Now, regardless of what you think about the Kelvin Universe movies, I'm going to say, honestly, in my opinion, if it wasn't for J.J. J. Abrams bringing Star Trek back uh-huh. and um, proving yep. to the, the networks, well, to the studios, that you can make money on Star Trek, because that's what it all comes down to, guys, is money. They're not making money, they're not making product. And JJ Abrams yes. proved with Star Trek two thousand nine, which is the top grossing Star Trek film of all time, by the way, that Star Trek would oh, be well. profitable. And if it wasn't for him admit, <laughs> I will
4: admit on his comments God hidden because it's a birthday post. If you can't be nice about the person, you don't need
2: to be making rude comments there you go i agree i agree completely Uh, but if it wasn't for jj we wouldn't have discovery we wouldn't have Picard. we wouldn't have lower decks we wouldn't be experiencing what we are right now with star trek so happy birthday to jj abrams whether you like his movies or not i think he's probably the most pivotal person in star trek next to gene roddenberry so happy birthday And with that, we have to take our very first commercial break. So walk, don't run to the bathroom. We'll be right back after these very important messages. And we're going to go live with our messages uh, right now because what I want to talk to you guys about is we've been given the opportunity to give away five copies of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on Blu-ray and DVD. And which is a great opportunity for us here on the podcast. But you guys got to do a little bit of work. You have to listen to the podcast, first of all, and you have to call 646-668-2433 on July 22nd. Callers that call on July 22nd, which is a Thursday. And uh, we're going to be reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 3 on that particular episode. So it's a great time to give away Discovery Season 3 Blu-rays and DVDs to you guys. It's our way of saying thank you. So please, please mark our phone number in your speed dial, 646-668-2433, and tune in on July 22nd. Give us a call, and I'll give you a DVD of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. It's that simple. It's fun, it's educational, and it's easy. So please, do that. And the reason why we're mentioning it now is because a lot of you guys are listening in other time zones than than where we are right now. You know, right now it's 747 p.m. where I'm sitting. Um, So you're going to have to tune in and call live on that night. So I'm giving you guys enough advance notice that you can make those arrangements, um, or whatever you need to do to give us a call and win yourself a copy of Star Trek Discovery Season Three, courtesy of Map I'm sorry, of Map 360 in New York City. They're the ones that are promoting Star Trek Discovery Season Three on on DVD and Blu-ray, and they're the ones that have been gracious enough to give us these copies to give to you. So that's the end of our message. And now back to our regularly scheduled show, which means there we go. So that covers all of our Star Trek birthdays. And now we're going to go on to Star Trek news.
3: Priority 1 message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
2: Incoming transmission.
3: Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is
0: complete. Black alert.
2: Black alert. Black, oh oh, you have been warned. So uh, we have a lot of news stories to talk about tonight, and our first one goes to Eric. And uh, before we do that, I want to let you guys know all the stories that we're about to talk about you can find in their entirety on our Facebook page. I just kind of go through and break them down to give you guys the main gist of them, but you can read the entire articles in their entirety on our Facebook page. So, Eric, what do you have for us? Well, I have a story that is right up my
3: alley, Jim. Uh, Alex Kurtzman on why the world needs more Star Trek and possibly a musical episode. Alex Kurtzman has previously mentioned one of his hopes to do uh, is to do a musical episode of Star Trek Short Treks. Currently, there are no plans for more entries into the series of Short Treks, but Kurtzman laid out the criteria that need to be met to make such a musical Trek work. He said... Nothing would make me happier than making a musical Star Trek episode. I thought about this. And if we ever did more short tracks, that would be the perfect format for it. The thing is, if you're going to do a musical, it would have to be as brilliant as Once More with Feeling from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It has to have a brilliant uh, concept that makes a a musical necessary, or you have to come up with a really, really good reason for people to start breaking out into songs. And we have yet to really explore that, but nothing would make me happier. I would die to see that. When asked if he thought Star Trek could work on traditional broadcast television, the executive producer was skeptical, explaining, We now live in the streaming age where the expectation is significant in terms of scope. And as the line between movies and television seems to have evaporated, we could not produce these shows on a network budget. It just wouldn't be possible which doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means that the story has to be built in such a way where uh, you wouldn't be going, Oh God, I feel like I'm getting, I'm not getting what I should be getting. It has to be specifically best told on network television in the same way that there are certain stories that are best told in two hours in a film. Uh, so yeah, on the first topic, I am all in on a musical short track. I think that would be amazing. Uh because I'm a big fan of musicals and I know that a lot of people aren't into them, but I have to tell you that, uh, you know, it is the perfect format to be able to convey really strong uh, emotions and really strong concepts in a very short and succinct way, because it doesn't just hit you with dialogue and words. It hits you with music, which we've talked about a lot on this show in terms of how it affects the emotion of a scene. Um, you will read a scene entirely differently depending on what music is playing. And I just think uh, a musical short track would be amazing. And then of course his comments on the broadcast television side of things. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you look at discovery and where they spend eight, 9 million bucks an episode on, you could not get a story like that. If it was playing uh, on network television these days, you just, just wouldn't be able to do it so uh, I kind of uh, you know people complain maybe still I think at this point maybe the complaints have died down uh, now that they've merged with Paramount Plus or now that it's become Paramount Plus it's not just CBS content uh, well well well, worth my whatever it is seven or nine bucks a month uh, that I pay
2: well I, that's the big thing Eric is that on broadcast TV they're relying on Pringles, potato chips and uh, yeah. county toilet paper. That's and right. Yeah. To pay for the show. On streaming, if you're a fan and you love the show like I do, you subscribe. And then they know that you like it because you're subscribing and they know how much money they have and how much money to spend. And it, it gives the fans more of a direct um, you know, say over the content that's being produced. So yeah. I, I think I think streaming is the best way to go. And uh, I've heard the complaint a lot that Star Trek should be free. And I always say this, and I'm going to say it again. Even in the 80s, Star Trek was not free. Unless you had an antenna on your roof wrapped in tinfoil and your mother was sitting in the chair in the corner and your father was in the other chair and you put one arm up and one leg down and you wiggled around this way and turned the TV that way, um, you couldn't get a good clear signal. The only way to get a good, clear signal was to pay for cable TV. If you paid for cable TV, then you got it, but it wasn't free anymore. Now you're paying for cable. So um, Star Trek hasn't actually been free-free for probably, I don't know, at least 40 years.
3: Yeah, and the other thing you got to remember, Jim, too, is that free doesn't necessarily just mean money, right? I mean, time is money. So, uh, you know... 15 minutes of commercials that I don't have to watch during an awesome episode of Star Trek, that's worth something to me. Not sure how much. I could probably put a price on it if I had to, but it's definitely
2: worth something. Yeah, I I love my Paramount yeah, Plus subscription. So. Uh, so, Charles, you've got the next story, and I thought that this one might be good for you. It sounded like a story that you might like.
4: Well, it is, and it's something I've actually been following. Star Trek Voyager documentary Student Journey has started, has started in studio production. In April, the Student the Journey, the Looking Back at Star Trek Voyager, wrapped up a record-breaking crowdfunding campaign, bringing over $1 million. This week, the documentary started pulling in some of that money to start working with director David Gapone, giving us an update on the production. This week, too, the journey begins its first interview production in Los Angeles, kicking off an extensive list of interviews for documentaries, looking at Star Trek Voyager. Filming is being done on the same stage with to the 9 What We Left Behind. but with a brand new custom built set themed around the USS Voyager holiday. One of the first interviews conducted this week included actors Alexander Enberg, Scott McDonald, Jeffrey Combs, and Vaughn Armstrong. The journey also brought on some notable fans and other ties to the franchise, including Discovery actress Martha Mary Tifo, and current Star Trek science counselor, consultant, Dr. Edwin McDonald. And they ju- then they're just getting started. We are looking forward to the journey to, be, journey to be an all-encompassing documentary. So we anticipate the filming will go on into 2020. And yes, the reason I say not only did I track it but I also joined the Facebook group or page know, which it is. And occasionally it'll pop in, and it's like, Oh guess who's guess who's getting interviewed now and we get all kinds of people popping up in the screen. You know they're getting extensive interviews with people. As uh, the ds nine was very much strong in interviews. Getting people's opinions, what what happened at different times. So I'm looking forward to see what they do with this one. They might even spend some time at uh, 55, 54-year mission mm-hmm. and go talk to some of the fans, because I know DS9 went to uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, and that's where some of their interviews came from. Who
3: knows? You guys might end up on film.
4: That's possible. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be amazing.
2: That would be. <laughs> well, I think so the next guys, one's Jim. Yeah, Jim. I've got the next story. It's a good one. You might notice that the stories coincidentally go to people that I think are the most interested in them. And this particular story <laughs> hey. is about a Klingon.
3: Love Klingon. So for, Imagine. Yeah. Uh, you can on. pretty much guess that, right? <laughs> but,
2: but not just any Klingon. The Klingon. Oh. The quintessential Klingon. The record-breaking Klingon. The Klingon who played his own son and his own um, grandfather. grandfather. Yep. So that's pretty cool. So this story is entitled, Why Michael Dorn's Worf Record Will Never Be Broken. Michael Dorn holds a record for Star Trek appearances, and it's unlikely to ever be broken. Dorn made his name playing Worf, the Enterprise's Klingon security chief, setting the standard for Klingons as a species chain from enemies to more complex allies in Star Trek The Next Generation. He continued his role through multiple Star Trek series and movies, then joined the main cast of Deep Space Nine. Worf's long and complicated story through multiple series has given Michael Dorn the record for the most appearances in Star Trek, and no other actor would find it easy to catch up. Over the course of the two shows, Michael Dorn has portrayed Worf in 272 episodes, the most appearances by any actor or character in the franchise. Cole Meaney as Miles O'Brien, comes in second place, appearing in 211 episodes across TNG and DS9. But that still puts Meany over 60 episodes behind Michael Dorn. Star Trek's heyday in the 80s and 90s, the series tended to run between 20 and 26 episodes a season. And the next generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager, all ran seven lengthy seasons. Or have had enough times in Star Trek in various episodes. However, the newer series are much shorter and sparser. Seasons of Discovery, Picard, and Lower Decks all run between 10 and 15 episodes, leaving very little time for any actor to rack up enough episodic credits to ever catch Michael Dorn. Well, that's an interesting story. And, um, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. But, Michael Thorne does not hold the record though for the most appearances by a character on Star Trek and uh you guys know who that is, who holds that record? Uh, what is
4: that might be Jeffrey's home.
2: That's my guess. I don't know. Jonathan Frakes. Uh, oh uh,
1: Jonathan that makes
2: sense. Frakes he has appeared as Riker. On every single iteration of Star Trek. Yeah. So, except for TOS, character wasn't around during the TOS area. And technically, he played um, a doppelganger version of himself. He didn't play William T. Riker, but he played Riker. So, he's been on every iteration of Star Trek so far, which is pretty cool. If you think about it, they just got to find a way to squeeze them into strange new worlds or get him into discovery. <laughs> and he gets to direct all the
3: star Trek because
2: he's so good at it. Yes. So he's been involved in every star Trek since the animated series. That's pretty cool. And Eric, you've got our next story. I've got a nice story that
3: slots right in with our international listeners. Star Trek, lower
2: decks and strange new worlds
3: finally headed to Paramount plus in Latin America. That's right. Star Trek Lower Decks debuted on Paramount Plus in the USA last summer and earlier this year on Amazon in many parts of the world, but fans in Latin America have been left waiting. Today, ViacomCBS announced the animated series will debut exclusively on Paramount Plus in Latin America. The first two seasons of the show arrive on Paramount Plus Latino America starting in September. Season two debuts on Paramount Plus in the USA on August 12th, ViacomCBS also announced that the new series Strange, Star Trek Strange New Worlds will debut exclusively on Paramount Plus in Latin America as well. This follows the news earlier this month that the series set on Captain Pike's USS Enterprise is headed to CTV Sci-Fi in Canada. No premiere date has yet been confirmed, but Strange New Worlds is expected to debut next year in
2: 2022. So good for the folks down in Latin America. Yeah, the more Star Trek fans that can watch Star Trek, the better off it is for everybody, I think. You bet.
5: And um,
2: the next story I was going to take, because, well, you'll know why in a minute, but I gave it to Charles because the story after this one, I wanted even more. So, Charles, what story do you have for us?
4: Composer Jeff Russo conduct music from Star Trek Discovery and more for Deadline's Inaugural Sound and Screen event. Star Trek Discovery because of, me, composer Jeff Russo was among four composers featured at Deadline's Inaugural Sound and Screen event. The new event is meant to be a highlight, original music, and a live performance so led a 55-piece orchestra conducting pieces from Star Trek Discovery, Fargo, and the more recent HBO TV movie, Oslo. Deadline Sound the Screen event was held at the Historical Newman Scoring stage, The same venue where the music for Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek, Picard, and Star inspired the Orville is recorded. When he isn't composing music for Star Trek, Russo is usually working on another musical score. But he's found a way to avoid the dreaded writer's block. At the event, Russo told Deadline. If I get stuck on something, I will jump to another project. And then that usually kicks the dust or gets the cobwebs out. Deadline's sound screen event was prevented by Deadline. Global Music, Riot VR. You see the full performance of Bruce's music from the event in the interview from the composer, visit Deadline.com. dot com. music. He's so good. Absolutely.
3: He's just so good. Like, I was thinking, you know, once again, I mean, we we talk about him a lot, but just the mood that he brings to Discovery is really unique, I think.
2: I I rewatched season one last week for the podcast, and I'm halfway through season two right now. And I got to say that the music that he writes for Star Trek for both Picard and Discovery is, is just phenomenal. I mean, he knows when to pop in a, a, a classic theme song and when to go with something original. He knows how to get that mood and how to get you to feel just the way he wants based on the music he's playing at the time. It's it's incredible. I'm big on music, and he nails it every single time. So I think we're lucky to have Jeff Russo working on Star Trek today. He's he's yeah. incredible.
3: Yeah, he somehow manages to find uh, a really cool balance between what I'll call kind of classical orchestral music that you would hear in um in movies, you know, throughout the 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatever. But then he brings a contemporariness to it that uh, lets you know that this was made in the 21st century. You can hear it. You can hear it in the quality of the recording. You can hear it in the structures that are used. You can hear it in all sorts of aspects of the music, which I think is is cool. Anytime a a composer can actually reach out and um, touch you on multiple levels like that and make it sound like it's happening
2: today, uh, that's just... That's just really cool. Well, if you look at the theme song for Star Trek Card, he at the very end, he pops in with the flute, and you hear that, that classic Star Trek theme song on a flute. And if you watch Star Trek, you know the significance of that flute and what it means to Picard, and it's, it's just a perfect – it just brings you right into it. It's, it's incredible the way he uses music.
0: Yeah.
2: For sure. That's yeah. incredible. So uh, I told you guys at the top of the show we're going to be talking about Star Trek Five, and we definitely are. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you want to talk with us about Star Trek Five, start dialing so we can get you right on the air and hear what you have to say. So before we do that, though, uh, I have an article called 10 Things You Might Not Know About Star Trek Five. The Final Frontier. And um, I decided to take this article because I love Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I'm in, I'm in the minority, but that's okay because that's what Star Trek is all about, infinite diversity and infinite combination. So, um, yeah, so I love Star Trek Five, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But right now I want to tell you about the top things you might not know about Star Trek Five. Coming in at number one, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy had a – favored nations clause, basically stating that whatever one of the actors received, the other would also get with Nimoy having directed star Trek three to search for Spock and star Trek for the voyage home. It was agreed that he could not only direct the next sequel, but would have significant creative control over the storyline. So that's why William Shatner wrote and directed star Trek five, the final frontier. Number two, Shatner got his initial idea for the story from watching tele- televangelists. He was intrigued that not only did these personalities convince others that God was speaking to them directly, but to send them his money as well. So that's where Cybok came from. Number three, Harve Bennett was intending to leave the Star Trek franchise behind, but Shatner convinced him to look at a story treatment and offer advice. Bennett basically disliked it. He reasoned that the subject matter was too weighty and would likely be considered offensive by some moviegoers. Number four, Harv Bennett wasn't the only one who initially declined a call for Star Trek Association. According to George Takai, he originally turned down the option to appear in Star Trek V solely because he knew William Shatner was directing. The pair had a longstanding feud But Shatner personally approached him and convinced him to reprise his role as Mr. Sulu. I did not know that one. I knew they had a feud, but I didn't know that. Yeah,
3: that
1: one's pretty interesting.
2: um, when, When Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry heard of Shatner's idea for Star Trek V, he objected to the character's search for God in general, and more particularly the idea of God portrayed as a Western religion. Number six, after Shatner and Bennett had restructured the story, Nicholas Myers was approached to pen the script, but he was unavailable, and so scripting duties fell to David Lowry. Number seven, once the script was finished, Paramount was worried that the film could not be made for the agreed-upon budget of $27 million, and so ordered several cuts. Shatner had envisioned angels and demons at the film's climax but these were converted to rock monsters that the false god would animate from the earth. Shatner also wanted six of the creatures, but was forced to accept just one in the end of the film, and and came down to a closer budget of $33 million. Now, oddly enough, that rock monster scene was not put in the original movie. We got uh, George Murdoch's floating head shooting laser bolts out of his eyes. However, If you're savvy on the Internet, you can do a search. and You can find a copy of Star Trek V that has a lot of these uh, scenes that were recreated by fans and digitally inserted back into the movie, which is the version that I have and the version that I watched that we're going to talk about tonight. And I think that improves the movie tremendously, Um, seeing even though there's only one rock creature, I think one rock creature is a lot better than a floating George Murdoch head. We'll talk about that a little bit later.
5: So anyways,
2: the budget was was cut on Star Trek V quite quite a lot. Um, Number eight, Shatner was so hands-on with the project, right up until the final minute before release, he basically ran the editing room and delivered what he deemed to be the finished cut to Paramount, which ran slightly over two hours, too long. Shatner insisted that nothing could possibly be removed without damaging the film's integrity, and so he stuck with the film. Paramount tasked Harve Bennett with the job of shortening the film's running time. Once he saw the new cut, Shatner was horrified by Bennett's audit. Edit, I'm sorry. Number nine. The morning after the film's opening, Shatner awoke and discovered a positive review in the Los Angeles Times. It was the first review for the movie he had read. He then turned on the television and a local station gave Star Trek V a glowing review. Nimoy later said that Shatner called him up to say, once again, they had a huge hit on their hands. A critical and commercial failure. Paramount coupled it with Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, as a double feature in an effort to prop up Star Trek's gross take. And many of the planned overseas theatrical releases were withdrawn and the movie went straight to home video. And number 10, 2009 Blu-ray collection of the original Star Trek movies was being prepared, and the movie was to be remastered in 1080p. Shatner suggested to Paramount that he would like to oversee a director's cut of the movie. He sent extensive documents outlining areas for improvement, segments, and special effects that could be redone and listed all the omitted scenes he intended to restore that had been cut from the original release. Paramount, in no uncertain terms, said no It was Star Trek V director's cut. So, yeah, that's, that's Star Trek V. Um, I, I didn't know that, they, that it did so poorly in the United States that they canceled a lot of the overseas screenings. I wasn't aware of that. And I was not aware that they showed it as a double feature with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade either because I went to see it on opening night. So I was not aware of that. Um, I would like to see the full two-hour movie, though. Um, if they filmed it, why wouldn't they put it out there? But, um, yeah, what do you guys think? Did you learn anything from the 10 facts?
3: Yeah, it kind of feels like uh, Star Trek Five had a pretty rough road trying to get made. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm not, I wonder if Shatner, first of all, well, I think this is the only thing maybe other than episodes of TJ Hooker that William Shatner ever directed. Um, And so it almost was like he wanted to have that stamp on his, um, on his Star Trek resume, so to speak. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it was rough because Leonard Nimoy had done such a great job with four and, and Shatner almost bit off more than he could chew. I mean, we'll talk more in detail about the movie, but I do think that it's very interesting to know that there is a longer movie out there. I personally also would love to see the director's cut. Um, It might help smooth things out, but the movie was also doomed, not only by uh, Indiana Jones opening at the same thing at the same time, um, I know Ghostbusters 2 came out at the same time. Uh, I think Dead Poet Society did. There may have been like two or three other movies that sort of came out right around that time that were all really big movies. Uh, And so the dollars that people were being asked to spend on Star Trek were being stretched in a lot of different directions. So, you know, the thing took on a lofty, lofty concept that took a big, big budget Uh, It had a relatively small budget to work with and it was up against uh, all of these other great movies that came out exactly at the same time. Um, So I I do think that affected, you know, the movie that we got uh, in the end. Um, But yeah, some of these facts are just, just fascinating. Um, You know, it's interesting to know how much of his, how much work he put into it. They were talking about how I read articles where they were saying he, Shatner would wake up at four o'clock in the morning no matter when he went to bed because he was going through a very rigorous workout routine at the time uh, because his favorite part of Star Trek is, is running and jumping, uh, which this movie has a fair bit of. Uh, And, you know, he was actually in pretty darn good shape uh, for this movie versus some of the other ones uh, that he's been in. So it was really his baby. He really, really tried his best, I think, to give a movie that he, that, that, that realized his vision And he did keep running up against Some roadblocks along the way
2: It's, a, it's almost amazing That the movie ever got made In the first place And uh, listen guys it's time to take Yet another commercial break I know that's hard to believe But uh, we're going to do it But we're not done talking about Star Trek V The Final Frontier And we're going to do another live commercial For you guys right now And I want to talk a little bit about Star Trek The 55 year mission in Las Vegas Um, It's going to be August 11th to August 15th, and Truck Talking is going to be there. We were invited to participate in the convention, and we're going to be there. The Leslie Hoffman is going to be there with me, and she's going to be signing autographs at our table. So please stop by and say hello to us. I have some business cards and some uh, magnets to give out. I was hoping to have some other things for you guys, but our uh, GoFundMe didn't quite work out as well as I had planned, you guys can go to GoFundMe and help us out, though, if you'd like. Please do that if you can. But we're going to be there, and uh, Charles is going to be there as well on Thursday night. Charles? Is it? Uh, I'll be in that. I'll probably
4: even try Thursday. I may make Friday, and then I'll be there for the weekend.
2: Um, so you guys can meet myself. You can meet Charles. You can meet D. Leslie Hoffman. won't be able to make it, That so uh, Eric won't be there, but... Um, You know, eventually all of us will get together in the same place at the same time, but not this time. But uh, we'd love to see you guys stop by the table and say hello. I'd love to put um, faces to some of the voices. That's going to be the first time I've ever met Charles, so I'm looking forward to that as well. The convention is going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, so please stop by the table, say hello. If you can make it to Star Trek, the 55-year mission in Las Vegas, August 11th to August 15th. And you can find information on that at creationentertainment.com. So please, please do that if you can. So now back to our regularly scheduled show. So we're talking about Star Trek V here. Welcome back, guys. And that means that we're going to play the trailer for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier just to get you guys in the mood. If you haven't seen the movie in a long time, or maybe you decided to skip it because you heard bad press or you heard people talking about it and you decided not to go see it, which I don't recommend. Um, I make up my own mind about whether I like a movie or a TV show. I'll go see it myself and decide if I like it. I don't base my opinions on what other people say. So if you didn't see this movie because you heard it was bad, um, Go and check it out for yourself and make up your own mind. Anyways, here's the trailer for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. From a relaxing
1: vacation on Earth. Greetings, Captain. I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. To the most perilous reaches of space. <laughs> Only one crew dare travel where no man has ever gone before. We'll need all the power you can muster, mister. On a desolate planet, a renegade Vulcan seeks ultimate knowledge. But to find us, we'll need a starship. And he will stop at nothing to get it. I do that a madman has taken over the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you've just seen a ghost. Perhaps I have, Captain. Our destination the planet Shakari. Eden. The center of the galaxy. The center of the galaxy can't be reached. If you ask me, and you haven't, I think this is a terrible idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons. Main on course. To Kirk. He's a fanatic to be fought. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier.
5: I say the danger is an illusion.
1: To the crew, he's a mystic to be followed.
0: Cyborg has simply put us in touch with feelings that we've always been.
1: I have to get back to the transporter. To Spock, he's the past he must confront. Shoot him!
0: You know I'm
1: right. Spock, my only concern is getting the ship back. And you're either with me or you're not. Put him in the brig with Captain Kirk. I'm a prisoner on my own ship. <laughs> what do you stand around for? Do you not know? Blake, when you see one. Mr. Scott, you're amazing. Well, there's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Emergency channel open. hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Put us on a direct course with the Great Barrier. Understood, Enterprise. We are dispatching a rescue ship immediately. Oh. Third of prey bearing
0: 105, mark 2.
1: Let me do something. Mr. Solo, full ahead. Transfer power to warp drive. Warp speed now. The greatest enterprise of all is adventure. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier.
2: So, if you want... To- Stop, 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 stop. There we go. This is live radio, guys. That's what you get. (laughs) Anyways, if you were at the movie theaters in 1989, that's the trailer that you would have seen on the big screen while you were sitting there waiting for Indiana Jones or Ghostbusters to play. You would have seen that trailer. Anyways, before I go too far, if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you know that I'm not a huge William Shatner fan uh not at all um he refused to do star trek conventions for about 12 years because he wasn't getting residuals i went down to a convention in new york city to see william shatner uh right before star trek 5 which is maybe 1988 or so and he was promoting the movie and back then you paid at the door to get in and you got an autograph for free now cash at every table you paid at the door and all the autographs were free back in the good old days. Anyways, the convention in New York City cost $50 to get in. Now just to put that in perspective, you, your typical convention would run around $20, $25, so Shatner getting 50 was a lot of money back in the 80s. But we went, and I waited online for several hours to get up to the table and I had a black and white picture of Captain Kirk holding up the Enterprise which was on the cover of tv guide magazine and he refused to sign it and uh, he told me he wouldn't sign it because he wasn't getting residuals for that photo oh but here's a picture of him and his horse up in saratoga and i was like no i don't want a picture of you and your horse well here's a picture of me from tech war no i don't want a picture of you from tech war i want captain kirk and he wouldn't sign it um I went to ask for my money back. They wouldn't give it to me, blah, blah, blah. Now, whether or not you agree with William Shatner's decision, I'll leave that up to you. But I just want to say that as a fan, uh, the fact that I got pulled into a contract dispute between William Shatner and Paramount is just, it's not my fault. I have nothing to do with the contract that was signed. And um, it just pissed me off. And ever since then, I have not been a huge fan of William Shatner. And um, so there, I just want to get that out of the way because when we start talking about Star Trek Five, I um, I don't want people to say, oh, well, that's, you know, blah, 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 because I, I'm not a fan of William Shatner. Okay. So I just want to say that up front. All right, guys, here we go. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, was released in North America on June 9, 1989. It had the highest opening gross of any Star Trek film at that point and was number one in its first week at the box office. That might be where Shatner got his initial ideas from, perhaps. Um, however, its grosses quickly dropped in subsequent weeks. The film received a generally mixed to negative review by critics on release, and according to its producer, nearly killed the franchise. In its second week, the final frontier tumbled 58% to make $7.1 million in, the, in its third week, it grossed only $3.7 It had a wide release of 10 weeks shorter than any other Star Trek film before it. That's incredible. 10 weeks shorter than any other Star Trek film. Yeah, that's nothing. Let that sink in. <laughs> wow. Uh, the Final Frontier grossed $49,566 in the domestic box office for global take of $63 million. Um, the season proved to be another record breaker for the film industry with domestic summer box office revenues over $2 billion. The Final Frontier was the season's 10th best-grossing film, although it failed to make expected returns. And it can Pink Cadillac were the early summer's biggest box office disappointment. Pink Cadillac, I don't think I saw that movie.
4: Uh,
2: um, yeah. It
3: yeah, I feel like
2: that was uh, wasn't that a Queen uh, Eastwood movie or something?
4: I have it to might
2: look be. that up. I'm thinking about the Aretha Franklin song "Pink Cadillac" that was written by Bruce Springsteen, but that's obviously not right. And your pink Cadillac. Yeah. Uh, the Final Frontier was expected to be one of the summer's biggest movies, and and a sure hit, despite its appearing in the market crowded with other sequels and blockbusters such as Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, and Batman Never before had so many sequels been released at the same time. Analysis expected The Final Frontier to make $200 million, uh, which wow. it didn't come close to. Uh-huh. Marketing well. included an MS-DOS computer game, part of an increasing trend of game tie-ins at the time. I had that game. It was pretty fun. Uh, J.M. Dillard wrote the film Novelization, which was on the New York Times bestseller list for four weeks. Paramount sold Star Trek-branded apparel through catalogs, and Kraft made a Star Trek-branded marshmallow dispenser. I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had <laughs> um, Because that's a little um, bit of Star Trek trivia right Wars. there, too. <laughs> That's a yeah. good, we'll, we'll talk about we're going to talk about that when we get to the movie. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter has Star Trek scoring twenty one percent, and the critics said it's filled with dull action sequences and an underdeveloped storyline. This fifth fifth Trek movie is probably the worst of the series, and Rotten Tomatoes audience score isn't much better at twenty four percent and um, Charles, what do our Facebook fans think about Star Trek 5 the final frontier? Well on
4: a scale of one to ten being 10 the best did our fans uh, rate Star Trek uh, Star Trek 5 the final frontier tell the crap gave it a four. Brianna Lacero maybe a
0: five.
4: Austin fan, Laura Dugan, it, uh Where's the bunch? If only, if the only good part was you, you'll a fan dance, giving it a five. Philip Barker, not as bad as a motion picture, giving it a five. LeTender, the uh, Argonne. I know, I know, the irony. It was fine, but not better than those CS episodes giving it a five. It has uh, Rob Cohen. It had some wonderful moments, but as a film, as a movie, it is a three. Shatner was not ready to direct a big film, and they flashed the budget. It, it's amazing the film got made. Since when did the Enterprise have 78 guests? Bob the Creole gave it a 7. Top fan Alan Paget gave it a 5. Steve Tudor, I've always had a soft spot for it. Mainly because I love the humor and the score, giving it a 6. Top fan... Gibson gives us our lowest score at a three, giving us an overall fan rating of four points. A
2: little bit harsh, I think.
3: It's pretty low. It's pretty low. The low of five is, uh, you know, if you you sort of take 90% as an A, 80% as a B, 70% as a C... (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's way below a failing score. I I just want to say right now that in my opinion, Star Trek Five is far from the worst Star Trek film. I think there are other films that are far worse than Star Trek Five, and uh, we'll get to those in future podcasts. But um, let's talk about Star Trek Five. So one of the things that I really like about Star Trek Five is the score. Well, like one of the fans mentioned, I think that Jerry Goldsmith does an incredible job. And next to star Trek, the motion picture, I think this the soundtrack that he came up with for star Trek five might be one of his best. As I said, following up star Trek, the motion picture. I think the music, the musical score in star Trek five is right up there with, with some of the top scores for star Trek movies. In my humble opinion. Anyways. Um, the Klingons. Man, do I love the Klingons in Star Trek V. Uh, Spice Williams as this is incredible. Um, Todd Bryant as Claw is awesome as well. Um, Charlie Cooper, General Cord. I love the Klingons in this movie. They just got, they got a really like a chicken bone look on their heads, which is kind of unique for Klingons at the time. They're kind of like biker Klingons is what I like to call them.
3: You know, if you take those chicken bone heads and you pierce them, you get the Kelvin Universe
2: Klingons, right? Yeah, very similar. Yep. Um, I did read. I was trying to get it done before the podcast, but I, I only got 70% done. I, w- I went back and read Star Trek V, The Final Frontier by J.M. Dillard. And I think, in my opinion, that the novelizations of the books, of the movies, I think are canon. And the reason why I say that is because if the movies are canon and the books are written from the movie, then I think that the books would have to be considered canon as well. W- would you guys agree with that?
4: Well, I but would, I would say-, say depending on the novelization.
3: I would agree with Charles. I feel like uh, you know they've they stated pretty clearly that only what's on screen is canon. But uh, I see where you're coming from, Jim, because I think what you're saying is that the novels have a tendency to kind of fill in the gaps and just add detail that we don't necessarily get in the movies, and it kind of gives you a context for some of these characters and the situations that they're put into when you actually read the book. So I see what you're saying, but. I don't know if you can officially consider him, Kalen, but that's just you know uh, that's just a, a a fine point there. As far as I'm considered, uh, uh, they actually, you know, they fit in. They fit in
2: fairly well. Well, the reason why I mention that is because in the book, it clearly states in the book that Spock was 13 years old the last time that he saw Sybok, So Somebody, one of our fans can go back and figure out exactly what star date that was, blah, 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 blah. But my point is that Spock would, that Michael Burnham would have been gone out of Spock's life by the time Cybok showed up. So Cybok and Michael Burnham never would have met each other because Spock is what, eight or nine in Star Trek Discovery?
3: Yeah, something say? like that. Yeah, I'd say he's about eight years, Eight. well, eight human years, whatever that is. I'm assuming it's the same in Vulcan years, but yes, he he appears to be a child of around eight or nine years old at the most. Uh, Michael Burnham appears to be slightly older than him in Discovery. Uh, Cybok being 13 years older, and it's pretty clear in Star Trek V, you know, Spock says uh, born of a of a Vulcan princess uh, came to live with us basically when she died and then was banished at some point. So if he's 13 years older than Spock, it's very unlikely that him and Burnham would have crossed paths.
2: Right. That's right. And, and in the book, in the Star Trek five book, it's explained how Cybok is able to brainwash people which I found to be interesting. That was something that wasn't really explained in the movie. Um, but what it is is the reason why he was banished is his mother was one of the high priest, priestesses of Gaul, and that's where they protect the Katras of all the past masters. She has an affair. Uh, well, I don't know if it's an affair, but she, she ends up having a child with Sarek but never tells anyone, including Sarek, because something in the Vulcan law doesn't allow a high priestess to have a child, and if they do, the child is taken away like a Jedi Knight or something like that. I, it's not really clearly explained why, but she has this illegal child that no one knows about, and it's Cybok. And he's, he's the most adept Vulcan at this this non-touch mind meld I'm going to call it where he can mind meld with you without even touching you just by looking at you he can mind meld you and it's, it, it's an extremely offensive act by, a, by a, a Vulcan to do this and they have to have permission and whatnot, and it, it's, it's highly frowned upon it's dirty in, in Vulcan uh, you society know, yeah. to do that so when his mother gets sick and, and, and dies, uh, they find out about Cybok And she makes a deal with them and says, well, you know, you know bring my son to Sarek, whatever, whatever. And they, they, she dies, and they take the son to Sarek. Well, he, Cybok doesn't do well with Sarek, blah, blah, blah. He continues to violate people with his mind meld. He breaks into the hall of katras and, and steals his mother's katra and they banish him. And that's why Spock never talks about him, because his name is stricken from all Vulcan history, never to be spoken of ever again. And that's why Spock doesn't mention him, and that's why nobody knows him. So the the book really fills in a lot of that backstory for the character of Cybok that I just found totally fascinating, and why they wouldn't put that stuff in the movie to make that character more... Um, I'm going to use the word human, but I guess I should use the word Vulcan. No, Why? give him Why?
3: some, give him some depth, you know? you know. Actually, because the thing is, is we when you watch Star Trek Five the way that it was finally delivered at one hour and forty six minutes, you do not have any real background on Cybok. You you have no idea how he has these powers. You have a little bit of a story that uh, Spock tells about who he is. In fact, when Spockers describes him, you don't even hear the the half-brother story that comes up later in the movie. So, yeah, I I think if this movie were to be made today, they would absolutely keep that stuff in. But back in the day, those studios were concerned that uh, they had to keep movies under two hours because they had to fit so many movie cycles into a single day. And if you keep a movie at under two hours, you actually have time in the movie theater to show the movie – and then give about 20 to 30 minutes for the theater to be turned over, you know, go in, clean up all that popcorn that Junior spilled all over the, the floor, and then they can run another 45-minute movie. If this movie were two hours and 15 minutes, they would have only been able to run three in a day instead of four, or four instead of five, and they thought back in the day, they being the studios, thought that that would have significantly cut down on the amount of movie uh, m- uh, money that the movie made, which – as it turns out, <laughs> wasn't the real reason the movie failed. The movie failed because it was missing that half an hour of essential content.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I, agree. I, um, I really enjoyed the book. Like I said, I'm only seventy percent done. I was hoping to read the whole book by tonight, but I didn't get it all done. But the backstory on Cybox is fascinating. Uh, to coin, Mister Spock. And they also threw some extra stuff in there about the Klingons, which I found interesting as well, about Kla and his background, and about Vixis and General Cord, and St. John Talbot. Uh, so overall, if you're looking to fill in a lot of the missing pieces, and I wonder if the, if the novelization was written from Shatner's original film treatment before Harve Bennett cut it down from two hours and 15 minutes, to an hour and 45. I, I, that's what I'm wondering. If, if a lot of this stuff was originally meant to be in it but was cut out, that I don't know. But I will say that the book really filled in a lot of the stuff that I think would have made the movie much, much better if it had been in it. Uh, particularly the rock creature thing. Um, well, one thing I do want to say, I love the camping scenes. Um, I'm sitting at camp right now <laughs> so um, to see the crew out of their uniforms, doing something that I can relate to every day instead of flying around in space, which I cannot relate to sitting around a campfire, having a marsh um, I loved it. I, it. To me, I was like, wow, that's so cool. And a quick story about the marshmallows before we have to take another break in the book. And this is something that's not in the movie, but it's hinted at in the movie. McCoy plays a joke on Spock. And McCoy goes and he knows anything he does, Spock is going to catch. So he goes to the ship's computer knowing that Spock is going to research camping. And he changes marshmallows into melon. And so when Spock does his research and he pulls out the Marshall melon. If you notice, there's a little grin on McCoy's face, and he's laughing. That's because McCoy put that in the computer, knowing that Spock would make that mistake. Which, so when he pulls out the Melon, it's just a, it's an inside joke between McCoy, and I just I wish they had put that in the movie because it would have made that scene just that much more better. So the marshmallows is an actual joke on Spock, which and if which did. I.
3: And if you didn't catch it, it does show up in the subtitles. If you keep the subtitles on, it definitely says marshmallows every single time yeah. someone
2: says it. <laughs> yeah, that is not a mistake that's done intentionally. Yeah. And I think it's great when you read the book and you find out that McCoy was trying to play a joke on Spock. And that was the joke that he came up with. And it works in the movie, too, I think. So that was great. Anyways. We have to take another commercial break. We're not done talking about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Our phone number here is, as always, 646-668-2433. Give us a call, and we'll get you on to talk about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Right now, though, we're going to hear from my buddy, TJ. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back.
5: This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga, Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Zero Heroclix, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing ship-to-ship tactical combat for the tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned, organized play tournaments with limited-edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by Shuttlecraft, or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery.
2: And we're back. So there's a couple of things I wanted to mention about Star Trek 5, and then we're going we're gonna to hear from Eric and Charles about Star Trek 5. One of the things about Star Trek 5 that I really like for me is this is the movie that to me feels the most like that. I really like the interaction with the characters. I like the humor. I think Shatner um, did a really good job at, at throwing in humor, but not the type of humor that was in Star Trek 4. It's different. Uh, But I liked it myself. And one of my favorite lines in this particular movie, there's a couple of them, but one of the ones I want to play for you guys right here is um, when Spock saves Captain Kirk from the rock monster or the floating blue. And uh, he beams up to the Klingon ship and uh, he sees that it was Spock that saved him. And I remember the first time I saw that movie, I'm sitting in the theater and I'm saying to myself, You know, Captain Kirk better give Spock a hug because that's what Captain Kirk would do. And that's exactly what Captain Kirk, he goes to do, except Spock catches line, which had me falling out of my chair laughing at the movie theater. Guys, what do you think? Did you like that line? That's
3: such a great line. Yeah. And you're right, Jim. I think one of the real strengths of this movie is actually its humor. Uh, particularly in the beginning of the movie, there are a whole bunch of lines that are really inside jokes to fans who are familiar with the Star Trek franchise and who have followed it throughout Not only the movies, well, particularly the movies. I mean, there are a lot of references to Spock dying and that sort of stuff. But he even makes a couple of TOS references that are slipped in there uh, and pretty much only recognizable to people who are in the know, so to speak. So that is one of the aspects of this movie that I really like, uh, the fact that they kind of bring back those uh, little bits and pieces for curtain calls here and there.
2: Now, I'm not saying the movie's perfect. It's far from perfect. But – I enjoyed it, and unlike our fans that, that uh, gave it a four point seven, which is the lowest score ever of any film, anything that we have ever had a, a score for on our Facebook page, um, I'm not I'm not quite down there. I quite I'm, I'm rather far from there. For me, I'm going to give Star Trek four a uh, Star Trek five. I'm going to go with an eight point five. I just love the movie. I enjoy it immensely. One of the best lines in a Star Trek movie is at the end when, when uh, what, what does Captain Kirk say at the end of the movie, Charles, near the end of the movie? What does he say to Cyborg, uh Doppelganger near the end of the movie? I don't
4: know which line you mean on this one.
2: He says, excuse me, what does God need with the starship? Oh, yeah. I mean? love that scene.
4: Yeah. I
2: love that scene. But the, the doppelganger when
4: he's talking to the God-like figure.
2: That's right. Yeah, the,
4: the,
0: yeah. The,
2: the, blue, the blue floating creature. But I think McCoy's euthanasia scene of his father is, is one of the finest Star Trek scenes I've ever seen in any Star Trek movie. It gets me. Every single time, of course Kelly acted so beautifully, Shatner, the way he films it is just it's an incredible scene so uh Eric, why, why don't you jump in and, and talk a little bit about Star Trek v? Wow,
3: uh, there's really a lot to talk about about this movie. Um, I don't even really know where to start. I guess what I'll say is uh first of all, fun fact when Jim played that uh trailer, you may have recognized one of the sounds that you heard and thought is that in the wrong franchise? Um, so that sound effect uh, that you heard uh, used for the Klingon bird of prey firing on that godlike being was actually created using the same method as the sound uh, of the star Wars Stormtrooper trooper rifles. Uh, when the bird of prey fires, it, it, it sounds like a TIE fighter, basically. It's like, <laughs> so, um, so that is kind of a fun fact. Um, I think that one of the things that people get hung up in uh, in this movie is some of the uh, technical aspects. For example, uh, the center of the galaxy is supposed to be something like 15,000 light years away, or no, the, it's like 15,000 light years across, and then it's like 70,000 light years away, and like how in the world could the Enterprise have ever made it there in six and a half hours? And um, that's actually kind of interesting because as Jim was talking about the novelizations uh, in the novelization, they actually talk about how um, Cybok um, has actually, he, he, he spent years on modifying an engine and a shield design um, that actually made journey beyond the galactic barrier possible. So, Cyborg used his, you remember how Spock talks all about how he's got a, the most advanced intellect he's, he's ever seen? Well, it turns out that Cyborg actually didn't just come into this as some kind of wanderer uh, or, or prophet, so to speak, or, or whatever, he's supposed to be a uh, evangelist, in the words of, of Shatner. But he actually came in with a plan and he had this modified engine that would actually allow them to get to Shockery in six and a half hours. So I thought that was kind of an interesting um, thing that, that shows up in the novelization, but doesn't show up in the movie. I love how big the concept is of the movie. I love the idea of, um, you know, it's almost like Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen too. You know, once you get to a certain level of intellect or a certain level of power, what else is there to contemplate other than the origins of the universe? Uh, you know, where does life come from? That sort of stuff. And I remember when this movie came out, uh, it was widely assumed that this was going to be the last Star Trek movie. This was going to be the one, you know, they had gone through the trilogy, two, three, and four had happened. They had the motion picture to kind of start it. They had the trilogy in the middle and Star Trek five was going to be the exclamation point on the, on the kind of TOS crew, um, you know, their voyages. And yet it was hampered by all these things we've talked about Uh, opening weekend, uh, you know, box office performance uh, budgets, uh, Shatner's inability to you know well maybe he delivered a good cut to the to the uh, to, uh, to the theater to the um, production company but then of course it was cut uh, so you know I love that it's got this big concept but to me the movie doesn't come together as a movie it has special special scenes there's no question to me Jim that I totally agree with you the camping scene is amazing in fact I love the whole first, let's say 45 minutes of the movie. Um, Even the opening scene with Cybok kind of coming across the desert on his horse and taking away that guy's paint, that was very compelling to me when I first saw that in the theater. But then it kind of falls apart a little bit in the middle to me. You get some inconsistencies. Yes, the the, Yedder has 78 decks. Yes, while Spock is flying up the tube, he actually goes down some decks. I think he goes up to like 52 and then goes back down to 47 and then goes up to 78 try to suspend your disbelief a little bit there because there is some good stuff uh, in the movie, some good concepts that I just think they didn't have the chance to totally explore. Um, so, you know, there's a, there are a lot of really cool theatrical connections, I think, uh, that Lawrence Wuckenbill in particular has. Did you know that he's actually the son-in-law of uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz? So he's got that connection to Star Trek. And then he's also the uncle of the Wachowski brothers, who did the Matrix movies. So he's kind of one of those guys who has this connection to lots of cool things. Even though this was actually his very last theatrical performance that we ever that we ever saw him in, and given the script that he was given, I thought he did a really good job with the role. Uh, I love Jim, you talking about uh, the whole like Vulcan culture thing because you get the sense that not only does he have this superior intellect, not you know, no pun intended with Khan there, but he also has a superior empathy. That's what allows him this ability to sort of share people's pain. And actually, I like the concept of being able to take away people's pain, but when you think about it, he's, he's doing it for somebody, which makes them completely devout to who he is. So if it, if this were really kind of following a Star Trek theme, Cybok would have been a guy that um, showed people, without taking their pain away artificially, uh, showed people how to deal with their pain. And I think that's what this movie's trying to do, that you've got the McCoy scene, you've got the Spock scene where he, um, you know, sees how disappointed Cerec is and how human he is. But you, you don't... You just don't quite, it doesn't quite execute it in such a way that uh, that feels super Star Trekky to me. Um, so, you know, I think this movie has a lot of merit. Um, I'm a little mixed on whether I put this at the bottom of my list or maybe some of the TNG movies like uh, Insurrection. I actually think these two are very similar in some ways in that they probably work better as episodes of the show rather than movies, um, but, uh, very interesting concepts. I just think that, that Shatner bit off a little more than he could chew and then was met with some bad luck along the way. And, you know, he never did go on to direct anything else. So maybe he's not an amazing director. I'm not throwing shade on him, but I'm just saying that, um, he was contractually obligated to make this movie <laughs> and really wanted to make this movie and did his absolute best. Um, and we got Star Trek V. So uh, I don't think I'll quite put it at the 8.5 that Jim puts it at, but I don't think this is a 4.5 movie either. I'm going to give this one a 6.5, uh, which is kind of near the bottom of my list. But I think that this movie is not as horrible as people make it out to be. And and you just kind of have to look past some of the technical glitches and some of the movie making things and some of the bad special special effects. Remember, this is the only Star Trek movie that Industrial Light and Magic did not work on. So that's why the special effects look so different. That's why the warp field looks so different when they're at warp. Um, it just was they didn't have the budget to do what they needed to do. To do and ILM was working on Indiana Jones and. Ghostbusters and all kinds of other stuff back in 88, 89 when this movie was being made. So, 6.5 from my perspective. What do you think, Charles?
4: Okay, let me go back in. As Jim talked about all oh, the blockbusters of that week, of that summer. Yes, Indiana Jones the Last Crusade was a big blockbuster. Batman... I think it fairly well on it. That was a reboot. It did in very well.
3: Such a good movie. Love that movie.
4: But Ghostbusters two, I'm not sure Ghostbusters two fares very much better than Star Trek did. That's not considered one of the great uh, sequels in movies. But. Him reminded me about the novel. And it's like, oh, I do have the Kindle version of the novel. And I do need to go back and read it. Because it's interesting. I don't recommend the audiobook for Star Trek. Because the audiobook for Star Trek 5 is not the novelization. And it's an edit, edited version of the movie. There are several scenes in there that don't show up. The camping scene is not in the book at all. With the, with our three actors, what what uh, what emotions disturbed Spock and McCoy were not discussed in. The in the book. It was a very edited version. Yeah. I think definitely I think I need to go back and read the original novel, because I think it's going to leave a lot more detail that was missed. But we talk about this one, and you look at Kirk's over there climbing. Now uh top of time. and even I think that I, even if that was all state still look very impressive seeing that climber all in that mountain,
3: yeah, you know, Charles, that scene where he's climbing there are two cool things about that scene, one is that the stunt person who did the fall actually holds the record for the longest like. Uh, controlled fall uh, in any movie, which I think is super cool. And then the other kind of cool tidbit about that scene is that the scene where Spock comes up with his rocket boots and is talking to um, to Kirk, you can actually see, yeah. that was done on a soundstage, you can actually see the real El Capitan in the background in that scene, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Yeah, in fact, I thought it was interested with some boots
4: you kinda of get that idea of being on a sound being on a mountain when when spots going up to the top of the shaft. And it feels like he's not actually riding the boots, he's just riding a line going
3: on. Yeah, and the other thing is that the physics, like if you're a Star Trek geek, you're into physics, and there's that scene after he catches him at the bottom of El Capitan, and he's kind of rotating around with the boots on, and his boots are facing down and sideways, and he's still hovering in the air. So it just, like from a visual effect standpoint, it's distracting because it's not doing what the boots are supposed to be doing. I try to suspend disbelief as much as possible, but that one is really obvious.
4: But one thing you guys didn't talk about is, well, two parts of the scene of the beans. And the secret ingredient that was in the beans. Oh, yeah. That That was funny. And then to hear the three of them attempting to sing. Oh, I remember singing the camp. Oh, what do we sing? Camptown Lady song. They tried to land on row, row, row your boat. It's like, what an odd choice, but an interesting choice.
3: Particularly because of the yeah. line "Life is but a dream." And Charles, have you heard the theory? <laughs> the theory that perhaps,
4: yeah, like that. yeah. Go ahead.
3: Go ahead and go into the theory real quick. I think that's fun.
4: But yeah, that was definitely in there. And I think that leads to a conversation that, that Jim led us is the fact that did Star Trek Five actually happen? Or was it a big dream? And because we watch it. You, it yep, yep. I kinda could not yeah. see where parts of that come from.
3: Yeah, because they basically go to bed in their sleeping bags by the fire. And the next thing that happens, uh, and, oh, and right before they go to sleep, they, they are singing Row, 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 Your Boat, Life is But a Dream. And then when they wake up, it's Uhura uh, and the bright light. And the whole movie happens. And then at the very end, they're back at the campfire with Spock's lyre singing Life is But a Dream again. So <laughs> don't think that was the intention, but it's kind of fun to frame the movie that way.
4: Now that I've heard the theory and watched it, I kind of, I, I see where that came from. And I'm not opposed to that theory anymore. I thought that was an interesting theory, and I might explain this one a little better. It then also explains why we never hear about Cyborg and why something could happen... The way they do But I know it's the time getting short um, I think I'm going to give this one A 7 It's not my top movie But it's not a bottom Bottom of the line movie There's still a lot of good Serious actors In here Especially when you see Some of the emotions That McCoy gives it About his father's death
0: The yeah, there, definitely there's, there's
4: a of in this movie, and I think at times that fits his character.
2: So I wanted to make, before we cut off, one of them is the scene where Chekhov and Sulu are lost wandering in the woods. In the book, again, we can argue whether or not the book is canon or not, but it's an interesting scene nonetheless. One that I wonder if it was ever filmed this way. I do not know. But in the book, Sulu and Chekhov are not lost in Yosemite, which is the way it's portrayed in the movie. Sulu and Chekhov are actually at Mount Rushmore. And remember, this movie was filmed... Well, it was released in 1989, so it was filmed in 1988. And one of the scenes that I find fascinating to coin Mr. Spock again, is in that scene when they're lost, the camera pans around and Chekhov and Sulu are walking up the backside of Mount Rushmore, camera pulls back for a wide shot of them, and there are actually five heads on Mount mm-hmm. Rushmore. The fifth head belongs to the first black president who happens to be a female, and her head is put on Mount Rushmore uh, with all the other heads, and I find that to be fascinating because back in 1988, how did they know that we were going to have a black president not too long in the future? I thought that was a really cool thing that maybe should have been in the movie because it was relevant. Um, and so I don't and, know and, you, and you know what
3: was in the movie, Jim? I that know. I that I think people sometimes forget about is that uh, you know when Star Trek Voyager came out. People gave Tim Russ shit for being the first Black Vulcan, but in fact, he wasn't the first Black Vulcan. This movie, Star Trek V, has a Black Vulcan that delivers Spock from Amanda as he's born. So this movie hit on a couple of those uh, topics along the way, and it is too bad that they removed that scene from Mount Rushmore because I feel like that would have been a very cool piece of representation back in 1989.
2: That, that would have been really cool. Uh, something else I want to, we're running out of time quick, but that's okay if we go over a couple minutes, that's fine. Um, we only actually see McCoy and Spock's um, Vulcan mind-meld scenes with Cybok. Um, but in the book, uh, we actually get to see Sulu's which is really interesting and perhaps more interesting is mr scott mr scott's big moment was the death of peter preston in the wrath of Khan. if you're looking for some more background on the characters and to fill in a lot of that there's a lot of stuff in the novelization that just wasn't in the movie that were just great scenes that i don't know why they weren't in the movie but they should have been so we're down to five minutes here, guys, um, so we're going to wrap things up here. So overall, sure. I enjoyed Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I don't think it's the worst film. Um, we're going to talk about what I think is the worst film, and um, Eric mentioned it briefly. Uh, we'll get around to it eventually, but I don't think Star Trek V is the worst film at all. So I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys out there who's listening. And if you're in the United States of America, please have a safe and happy 4th of July weekend. Try to stay dry. I know it's pouring rain up here where I'm at. Hopefully the rain will move out and we can enjoy some fireworks and we can all celebrate um, getting out of COVID, being together with our families and friends again able to get together and uh, not social distance so please try to stay safe and have a very safe and very happy fourth of july i also want to say thank you to eric for hanging out and trek talking with us tonight eric thank you so much we couldn't do the show without you
3: i had a real blast with you guys tonight i love talking about this movie and if you are in the portland area over the fourth here guys Please, please, please follow the fire marshal's uh, recommendations and just forego the fireworks this year. You can still celebrate your patriotism without blowing stuff up, and uh, we're way too hot. We're way too dry right now, and we certainly do not want a repeat of 2017 in the gorge. You know what I'm talking about. So uh, thank you for uh, hosting here, Jim, uh, and people in Portland, be sensible this weekend.
2: And also, I got to say thank you to Charles. We couldn't do the show without you, either Charles. So thank you so much for hanging out and trek talking with us tonight.
4: Well, I'll give a similar warning as Eric does. I know people are wanting to do the fireworks. Make sure you stick to safe and sane fireworks. And make sure you if you choose to set them off, set them off safely. And don't forget about the fact that you do have animals and people who do get uh, scared from the noise and be mindful of them. I know I how a cat is probably going to be hiding somewhere because he does not like the bang of the fireworks. But fun show was already...
2: Think about our four-legged friends. And, of course, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys who's listening around the globe, no matter where you are or what time zone you're in. We really appreciate you hanging out and spending some time with us, and we couldn't do the show without you. Next week, we're going to tackle Star Trek, the motion picture, and that will complete all six of the Star Trek movies, and uh, we'll have the ranks by you guys, the fans. And uh, so far, I've been really surprised at just how well Star Trek The Motion Picture is ranking amongst our fans. Uh, one of the fans tonight said that Star Trek V was worse than Star Trek The Motion Picture. Well, uh, go to our Facebook page and take a look at what some of the fans are saying about Star Trek The Motion Picture. There's a lot of tens in there, a lot of tens in there. So check that out on next week's show. And, uh, of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying thank you so much for hanging out and trek-talking with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, We are coming to you live from uh, my my campsite up here in the Adirondack Mountains of New York on the Hudson River. It's pouring rain right now still. You might have heard a little technical difficulty we had earlier because there was a lightning storm and it interfered with my uh, internet connection but we're back we're here we're live and we appreciate you guys spending some time with us please go to our facebook page give us a like give us a follow and participate we'd love to give you a fan shout out on one of our future shows so without any further ado i want to say thank you stay safe and be good to each other hailing frequencies are closed good night everybody good night all live on the proper.